This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and I don't know about you, but I sense something in the air in Australia's lockdown cities at the moment, and it can't help but be affecting our work. I think if you look at the last 18 months, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but March last year, I felt like we had an immediate response to what was what was going on, that sort of typical flight, fight, freeze response. But then once we got over the sort of initial shock of, of what's been happening in the world, we've kind of been in this state of flux ever since. You know, it's not been completely normal and it's not been sort of as extreme as that initial sort of lockdown. And, and that uncertainty and that ambiguity that we're that many of us are in is really exhausting over what is now 18 months. We have uncertainty fatigue. Working through the pandemic has been a marathon, not a sprint. It's like being a hamster on a wheel, but the advantage the hamsters have is that they don't have to homeschool as well. Julia still knows a lot about change. It started as a child. She grew up in a military family and changed schools eight times. She then carved out a 20-year career in change management and has been coaching executives through this difficult time. It's like, you know, come across a bear, your body's instinctively going to know what to do. But uncertainty is kind of the same reaction, but it's different, right? It's ambiguous. And what we're trying to do at the moment is figure out all of the different options. You know, what are the different possibilities that might happen? And, you know, it's not whether the bear is jumped out in front of us and we've got to do something about it. It's, is the bear going to jump out? Is it going to be a bear? What if it's something else? And it's, so it's not a, there's not a clear answer. And actually not having a clear answer is actually what makes it exhausting. And if I was to apply it to sort of what's going on in much of Australia in lockdown at the moment, there's lots of questions that we just don't know the answer to. You know, how long are we going to be in lockdown for? How long am I going to have to homeschool? How long is it going to be before I get to go back to the office and see my colleagues? All of those questions are either consciously or subconsciously working away in our brain. And that's mentally taxing. Isn't it what? So today on This Working Life, how to deal with uncertainty and to thrive, not just survive at work, in yet another lockdown. Hi, I'm Dan from Barrel One Coffee Roasters and we're situated on the northern beaches of Sydney. I think emotionally this one is probably the hardest because it's it's just it's like it's another one and we're like you know here we are again. I mean we're not as bad as Melbourne who's I think in their fifth lockdown. Um, but for us it's just more of like, you know, here we go again and I think right now we're in a bit of a fatigue. It's just like we're we're over it. We're done. We know we want to get back to normal. I'm sure the whole world wants to get back to normal. So that's the biggest thing about this one, I think. Dr. Shanta Day researches employee well-being at the University of Sydney Business School. She explains what's happening in our brains when faced with uncertainty. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Humans are, we know from lots of psychology studies and neuroscience studies that we're actually neurologically wired to find uncertainty aversive. So we know from multiple studies um, that when human beings are presented with ambiguous, unclear information, unclear scenarios, it activates parts of the brain that trigger sensations of fear, anxiety, worry. And so, you know, it's really at odds with how our brains are meant to plan for the future. And so 
what happens is that we're just feeling this overwhelming sense of exhaustion where we're presented with unclear information and we're trying to make decisions day to day with limited conflicting information, but we're unable to do so because we're not really being presented with all the information. And so your rational parts of the brain starts to go offline and then that makes it even more difficult to make decisions and you sort of spin out into this ball of worry and anxiety. And that's what I think a lot of us are experiencing right now. And what are you picking up as the feeling in Sydney compared to Melbourne right now? I would say it's it's quite similar. I think with Melbourne, there seems to be also a degree of resignation to what's been going on, given that it's the fifth lockdown that you've been going through. Um, whereas with in Sydney, there's also this sense of protest and frustration and anger and exhaustion. So it's it's difficult emotions to navigate and it's it's made it hard for a lot of people in the workplace. In terms of being conscious about adjusting. I was reading about a gear change required from the initial, uh, you know, sort of pandemic environment where it was really adrenaline fueled and, uh, you know, it was psychological emergency response versus what we need to cultivate now, which is more like psychological stamina. Can you talk to this a little bit, Chanta? Yeah. So I think um, we have to sort of think about the fact that we have to be realistic in, in how we're going to respond to the situation and sort of take a slightly more longer term approach to how we're going to manage ourselves. We don't know when this lockdown is going to end and we need to be resilient and prepare ourselves to be able to potentially be in the situation for up to a couple of months if need be. And so there's a couple of things that people can do in order to do that. One of them is having this radical acceptance that there isn't going to be complete certainty in what information that we're presented and that we have to be okay with that to some degree. But that we should at least try to create a sense of certainty or control where you can in a short-term basis. So one of the things that we always say to the teams that we work with and the managers that we work with is try to create a sense of control by adding routine and structure to your days, but not thinking too far ahead because it's already very psychologically draining being in limbo periods where you don't know what's coming next. Um, so, and we know that things can change rapidly week to week. So don't plan too far ahead, but do what you can day to day where you create your timetables, your schedule in your activities, you make your daily to-do lists. Having a really concrete plan of how to get through your day can be really powerful in reducing stress and making sure you're not depleting your resources too much so that you have that stamina to be able to manage however many more weeks that we go through this. Julia Steele also rates a sense of control as one of the most important factors in how well we can deal with this lockdown again. Oh, I mean, we love control, don't we? Control is, is such an important thing what we've got, but at the same time, it's kind of fictitious, right? And what we can control in our immediate lives um, is how can I be a great parent and how can I be a great colleague and how can I be effective at work? Those are the things that we can control. And the more that we focus on what we what is within our control and what is not, I think the better off we'll be. And at the moment I'm seeing a lot of people putting a lot of energy in trying to control the things that are out of their, their control and, and that adds another layer to the uncertainty as well. Do you have a tip for anyone in uh, the ability to identify what is controllable? Because I think that's probably an important thing. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you look at, um, when you look at actions, can you make a decision about what you can do? 
So I can make a decision about how many times I leave the house at the moment. I can make a decision about the friends that I hang out with um, and the people that I don't hang out with. I can make a decision about how many times I listen to the media every day. And all of those things are in in my control. Um, How many times I work from home, the way that I work from home, who I see face-to-face, all of these things are uh, within my control. Some of the things that aren't in my control are, you know, at the moment, how many days are we going to be in lockdown? Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are sitting on what, and thinking about that constantly because we all want to know the answer. But whether it's five days, seven days, 20 days, that's completely outside of our control. So, yes, be aware of it, but just don't don't let it affect the things that you that you can and the way that you feel every day because that and that ongoing uncertainty is what creates the anxiety and the stress and everything else we talked about before hi my name's claire i am a casual tutor at the university of sydney Given that Sydney is currently still in lockdown, I'm facing the really challenging prospect of not knowing whether my teaching is going to be online next semester or whether it's going to be face-to-face. This problem of not knowing how my teaching is going to look next year causes me a huge amount of stress because If we're moving between face-to-face and online during semester, that means that I have to do effectively two lesson plans each time. And that takes up a lot of my time, most of which I don't get paid for. So I'm in this situation where I have to try and do what's right by the students, but I'm also not really knowing what the situation is going to look like for the future and how to best provide the teaching experience that I think is ideally suited to a face-to-face context. In the last episode of This Week in Life, writer Greg McEwen explained why it was so important to look for the easier, more effortless way to achieve the same or even better results without burning out. If you didn't hear it, you might want to catch up on that one because according to Shanta Day, we need to think long and hard about the way we work at this point in the pandemic. So one thing that I think um, we always really reiterate to teams and managers of teams um, that we're working with is that it's just so important to cut yourself some slack. You know, we know from lots of studies that people who are self-compassionate and realistic in the goals that they set for themselves, they're far more likely to be able to get through their work and far less likely to burn out compared to people who are overly self-critical. You know, so much of how we feel about ourselves come from the expectations that we place on ourselves. And if there's ever a time to adjust your expectations of yourself, it's now. This is not just working from home under normal circumstances. You're working from home during a crisis with whilst wearing multiple hats and with all these restrictions. So we have to redefine what okay looks like for us. We have to redefine what success looks like for us. We can't expect to continue at the normal pace that we were before. And it's really important to remind yourself that that's not a sign of you being lazy. It's not a sign of you being complacent. It's a sign of you being adaptive. It's adjusting to the situation that you're currently in. And that's a good thing. That's a good quality to have. It's protective for your mental health. 
a lot of this is um, predicated on the fact that we need to be quite rational when we're <laughs> setting all these boundaries. And yet I want to bring together the fact that we need to develop resilience, as you were saying, but you also said that this uncertainty creates a fear response. So do you have some practical tips on how we can really manage this fear response so that we can be more practical and um, and rational in how we're coping with this? Yeah, interesting. I mean, because we're in an unsafe, uncertain environment, we currently, for most of us, we have a fear-biased brain. We have a brain that's geared towards, you know, negativity and we'll, we'll take fear-mongering articles as truth. So one of the things that's so critical is that we have to be very deliberate in where we consume the news, when we consume the news, and how often we consume news. Because confirmation bias might make us want to look out for sensationalist pieces of news. So just like how you might avoid caffeine before going to bed, you need to be really you need to be really intentional about how you do the same thing with news. Because I've noticed with a lot of people, the more they read about it, the more they talk about it, the more they rant about it. And you should, you should express how you feel about it and, and have an outlet. But there has to be a cap because otherwise with every piece of information that you get, it's going to deplete you and frustrate you more and more. So cap the extent to which you are in consuming that type of news and then go about your day as much as you can so that you have the resources to remain as positive as you can and as balanced as you can. Now to the meat in the sandwich. Yep, I'm looking at you, managers. What can you do to help your staff right now? Julia Steele. <laughs> um, I feel for managers. I mean, who <laughs> I, I've been, it was a manager for 15, 20 years and I look at what the last 18 months has meant and you go, you not, there aren't many managers that would have signed up for the last 18 months. Right? They got into management because they're passionate about people and they want to make a difference and they want to have an impact. And there's not been a lot of that in the last 18 months. But if you're, if you're a manager and, you've, and you're listening to this, you've got a team, first thing is be hyper aware of where your team is right now. There's a lot of tired people out there. Managers are probably feeling tired themselves. So first thing is to open your eyes and ears and listen to what's going on. The keep going mindset isn't sustainable and we need to to listen to what's going on around us. So I think we've got an opportunity as managers to have a lot more authentic conversations because we don't know what's going on in the lives of our teams and we don't know the challenges they're necessarily facing at home. And conversely, our teams don't necessarily know what we've got going on as well. So having being willing to have those more authentic conversations is important as well. And I think from a management point of view, we're also very good at, you know, traditionally setting, you know, what's the plan for the year? I was like, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could set a plan for a year. <laughs> um, I could set a direction for a year, but I'm probably more focused on what does the next one, two, three months look like? And, and more importantly, what's the next best move I can make? So in, in all of that uncertainty, it's set a course for your team, but don't be too attached to all of the steps and all of the dates and all of the things that can maybe overwhelm people and just focus on what's the next best move that people can make. And I'd like you to take a minute to think about how the way you deal with all of this right now affects those around you, your friends, your colleagues and your family. 
dropping your bundle can have knock-on effects, as Shanta Day explains. So there is this social phenomena that we refer to in the psychology literature as emotional contagion. And it's this idea that in workplaces or households, we're often part of these what we call affective spirals, where one member of your team or your household, when they feel a certain way, so for example, they're feeling really stressed or very cynical or very down or very frustrated, those emotions, they can become contagious. It transmits to others and it can just spiral among everyone in your team or your household. So you can imagine, for example, if there's someone within your household who's always constantly stressed and upset, there's no way it's not going to affect you in some way, right? And so it's just very important that we all are conscious of how the way we feel also impacts the others around you. And it's important for all of us to take the time to try as best as possible within our means to regulate our anxiety and stress, not only for ourselves, but again, for the people around us. So do whatever makes sense for you. So for example, if it's taking multiple micro breaks throughout the day, or it's really cutting yourself some slack and realizing, you know what, I'm, I'm being too hard on myself. I'm putting too much pressure. I need to give myself some leeway. If it's seeking some professional help, if it's realizing, you know what, exercise is actually really important to me and I haven't been able to do that for the last couple of weeks. I really need to have some protected time to go for a run. I need to make sure I'm eating well. I haven't been sleeping well and that's making me really reactive to my partner. It's thinking about what's triggering you and what's a couple of things you can do, even if it's just baby steps to help protect your mental health. Because it's not only important for your mental health, but it's also incredibly important for the mental health of people around you. And to be honest, whether you vent or not, I always say it oozes out of you whether you're conscious or not. Absolutely. Hence why I think, you know, just taking those moments of thinking and pausing, because a lot of us don't do that. We don't pause and reflect and think, oh, how actually am I acting and how is it affecting those around me? And is there something else I can do within my means to help manage myself a little bit better? In relation to how we might deal with fatigue as a worker, um, you have mentioned a couple of things around setting boundaries. What about um, the idea of doing some clustering or putting things together, batching Yes, that's a, that's a great point. So there's an interesting study that's come out that shows that one of the biggest predictors of well-being in quarantine is actually being able to get in, into a flow state. I don't know if you've ever heard of what flow state refers to. As in uh, Mikali Chechen Mikali, yeah, whatever his name is. It's hard to pronounce <laughs> last name, I know. Mihai. Chick sent me high. It's it yes exactly. It's that state of where you're in a state where the sense of time vanishes and you're just immersed in the task and it's just you and that task. And you know for everyone it's it's slightly different and it doesn't have to be necessarily work related. For example, it could be gardening for you. It could be listening to music. It could be writing a piece of paper. But it's just getting into that deep flow. And what the research has shown is that it can be very protective for your well-being to be able to maximise those periods of you being able to get into those flow states. So in line with that, what's a good way to be able to structure your week when you're planning your week or your day is to be able to maximise opportunities for you to be able to get into flow states. And one way you can do that is to cluster your meetings on a certain day of the week. So, for example, I work at a company for part of the week called Atlassian. Oh, yes, the the software company, for those who don't know. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And they have this um, initiative where you can't schedule meetings on a Monday. It's it's called get shit done days. <laughs> That's a protected day for you to engage in deep work. Wow. That's a day for you to start your week where you're not, you know, in tons of meetings back to back and across multiple things. That's for you to get through up to speed with your emails, do whatever you need to, do your deep work, and then you sort of have that capacity and resource, mental resources to get through the rest of your week. What is the research around Zoom fatigue found? So there was a recent study that showed that for people who had back-to-back meetings over Zoom, it the brain activity showed that levels of stress and anxiety slowly increased over the day. But one way to curb that was by implementing 10-minute breaks between those meetings. It steadily slowed down those increases of stress and anxiety across the day. So I think we need to start thinking about how we structure our meetings across the day and being really conscious of not being excessive with the number of meetings that we plan. Okay, so we schedule our Zoom breaks, we've gotten our flow on, we're checking our emotional baggage at the door and we have more elastic expectations about what we can and can't achieve. But Shanta has one more tip for keeping things doable. One of the things I've noticed people do and and could improve on is really thinking about what you write on your to-do list. So like you said, Lisa, people feel like they're they are losing a sense of control and they're losing their sense of being able to accomplish things and get through their tasks as normal and get through their days as normal. And so I've noticed when people write in their to-do list, they can have like these really big to-do list items. Like, for example, I work in a university and and so they can say like, create a new postgraduate program for master's students. And that's on their to-do list. And I think to myself, that's going to be in your to-do list for months. (laughs) How can you possibly get, that's just constantly seeing that every day and never having to be able to scratch it off is so, like, it's not, it's not very encouraging. So I always suggest write only things on your to-do list that you can feasibly finish within one to two days. And by being able to do that, that very act of being able to cross off something that you know you can feasibly finish within a day or two, it creates this sense of mastery, it creates this sense of accomplishment, and it motivates you from being for, to, in order to be able to keep being able to do that. So I think I would implore everyone to have a look at their to-do list and see if you can revise certain items and chunk them into much smaller items, and specifically items that you know you can control and that you can feasibly complete within a day. Oh, I think I do that because I say, where will I be, you know, where, wh- what do I want to achieve long term? And then I say, what is the one thing I will do tomorrow in order to achieve that? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Another thing that I do is I don't actually throw away my to-do lists. I will, once I've crossed them all off, like I have a post-it note and I'll, I'll have them piling up all those post-it notes with the things crossed off. And it reminds me that actually I do have control over my, my day more than I actually think I do because I've done all those things. Despite all the limited information that I have and the conflicting information that's going on, I've been able to get through quite a lot. And that's something I'm really grateful for. And it creates this sense of control control in me and this motivation to keep going. Dr Shanta Day from University of Sydney Business School. And let's not forget, for some of us, there is a bright side to all of this. Hi, I'm Toby. I work in Sydney. I hope I never have to go back to the open plan office at work. When I'm at home, I get to cook what I'm going to have for dinner. I get to be in my own space. I pay too much in rent anyway. I should at least be able to stay home and enjoy it. And the office at work is full of distractions. I just have to sit there and listen to other people talk on the phone. 
I don't even get as much work done. The only thing that I miss is a good chair. Aside from that, I hope I never go back. My biggest lesson is I'm suddenly a lot less attached to how I get things done. I used to be, oh, you know, my, this is what I do and it's got to be done this way and this is, and actually it doesn't matter. And I, I've let a lot of the control, to use that word again, a lot of the control go and just go, okay, it's more what's more important, that I do things the best way I possibly can or is I just, I just do them. And, you know, it's, we're kind of in a world where anything sort of 50 to 80% correct, it's kind of going to be good enough right now. We don't have to aim for that perfection because we don't have headspace for it. I think the way that I cope is just, I mean, I'm, I say this a lot in the cafes and it probably gets quite annoying, but, in, you know, it is what it is that term that there's nothing we can do about it so we just have to pull through and just you know wake up the next day and make sure everything we do is for the best of our employees and our cafes and our customers just knowing that tomorrow might change and just thinking that if it does then we've already gone through two other lockdowns this is the third lockdown then we can get through the next one Cafe owner Dan and leadership coach Julia Steele. And this lockdown is affecting us as well. Sadly, our live show at the Melbourne Podcast Festival has been cancelled. Boo! Tickets will be refunded, of course. See the festival website for details. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle with research by Cara Jensen McKinnon. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.